0: Thank you for listening in with me at Seeking Eye. A little bit about myself. My name is Darren and I use the surname Mac online just for simplicity's sake because my full surname is much more difficult to remember. I established the Seeking Eye project to research the nature of life, death and beyond. I have since set up events, interviews and debates with some of the leading thinkers and researchers on the subjects the results of which I share freely as discussions or podcast episodes on the Seeking Eye YouTube channel and Podbean profile. Until now, I have funded this project myself, but as the costs of producing and publishing my work have risen, I am now reaching out for support via DonorBox and Patreon. If you support Seeking Eye Monthly through Patreon, you will receive certain rewards depending on which tier you sign up for. You can donate to the project via buttons which you will find online at seeking-i.com. You can also find the links to both of these in the description beneath each YouTube video and Podbean podcast episode. Of course there is no obligation, but all donations will be gratefully received and used exclusively to improve this project. Thank you very much.
1: I opened my private practice in 1999 and uh, uh, trained with Dr. Alan Botkin in 2006. And it was such a revolutionary thing. Um, you know, that's pretty much grief and loss and trauma has been my, my focus ever since then. And this is the, really the best tool that I have found um, since I started practicing back in 1983 so it's just really taken over
0: mm. so i iadc is induced after death communication isn't it that's um, right i believe it's it's a, a derivative of, of rebt which is rapid rapid i
1: emdr i, I, I sorry, movement since desensit-
0: yeah know what rebt is yeah we've got all sorts of acronyms yeah. floating around <laughs> so eye movement desensitization therapy isn't it
1: IDC, uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, reprocessing is the full name. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So, could you describe kind of how that works and how that develops into IADC and then kind of what the experience is of that? Yeah.
1: Well, eye movement uh, therapy uh, has been around since the uh, early 90s, I think. And um, what it was kind of an accidental discovery, which IADC was too. Um, but uh, the, the brief explanation is that when there is a traumatic experience and certainly grief qualifies for that, um, there's a, a pathway that gets encoded into the brain. Uh, the the first sensory input comes in and hits the emotional center, the amygdala, basically. Uh, and it, you know, kind of teams up with the uh, hypothalamus, uh, which is very in. in you, you're not gonna. You're not gonna form any any memory without a, a hypothalamus involved, but that first loop gets kind of stuck. Um, we know that that when there's something traumatic, you know, adrenaline is involved, and we know from PET scans and things like that that adrenaline actually starts shunting blood flow away from your, your uh, prefrontal cortex. It says, you don't need to think you just need to run, Mm. jump, get out of the way, uh, hide, do something. Um, So you don't get a chance to really process what's happened to you before the memory is formed. So every time you come back to that uh, memory, all that happens is you get this emotional playback loop, which triggers more panic or more, uh, uh, distancing sometimes mm-hmm. and um, what we found is that the simple bilateral stimulation that uh, was originally done you know with eye movements um, while you're focused on that trauma that memory it usually uh, plugs back in the your, your cognitive ability so you're actually seeing this memory from a different perspective than the feedback loop you've been, right. you know, stuck with.
0: So you kind of override in the kind of the conditioned response. In, you you, yeah.
1: you actually form a new memory. You know, this it's the memory of a whole brain perspective as opposed to an emotional brain perspective, and that's uh, that's how. Um, uh, you know, Botkin was working for 20 years with uh, VA, Veterans Administration, uh, clientele, people who had been through the Vietnam War, mainly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, up until EMDR came along, he was doing uh, what they call desensitization therapy, which is you tell the same story over and 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 over. And, over. and it's very tedious and it's very painful.
0: The idea being and, uh, that over time you become numb to it, I suppose.
1: Yeah, that, um, you, you know, you have have this, this long exposure to it. But, um, you know, he said he, he discovered and was trained in EMDR, and he said it was, you know, kind of the difference between pushing your car around town and suddenly getting an engine put in it, mm. you know, that it, it just accelerated everything. And... Um, EMDR has a specific, very um, buttoned-up protocol for it. You know, there's this—it's this like eight steps involved in, in doing EMDR therapy, and it's—it's um, it's a great technique. And I—I've trained uh, in in EMDR, and and I'm very willing to say it's just you know, terrific. Um, what what Botkin discovered was that in just uh, taking a few little steps uh, out, like um, finding, it, telling people to find a safe place, and and uh, you know when things would get too rough, you could kind of move back off to this safe place and, and go away from the uh, impetus that's making you afraid or anxious. Um, and, um, you know, a couple of other little steps, um, he was getting people there even faster in, in terms of, and most of these people that he was working with, um, not only had they experienced the trauma of war, but the, the personal loss of, of Fellow soldiers and and people that they knew uh, mm-hmm. in the in that war zone, and um, when he got them to this particular place, and and Aaron, and we're talking minutes, tens of minutes, not days, mm-hmm. not weeks. Uh, when you go from a a level of distress that you rate as the very top that you could possibly experience and then you get to the level of say almost nothing and you do that within 20-30 minutes you know that's a therapist's dream right there but um, what he what he discovered quite accidentally uh, was that when people got to that point and they were Thinking about the loss of that person, uh, they were re-experiencing that person in real time in his office. And he first, you know, thought the first guy that did that was, oh, I'm, you know, latent schizophrenia or something. Uh, but it kept happening over, uh, you know, all his his clients and all of the, you know, the years that he kept doing that. And then he started training other therapists to do that in the VA, and they had the same experience. And then he finally left the VA and went public with it. And and, uh, we've, you know, tracked that uh, for the last, I don't know, 16, 17 years. And uh, that phenomenon continues to happen at a rate of about 75 to 80%.
0: Of that, of that very speedy recovery through this technique.
1: Well, it, and, and what I mean by the 75-80% is that 75-80% of the people that have the uh, tr- treatment um, have an, a, an experience or a re-experience or a reconnection with the person they mm-hmm. lost. What, that's one of the things I, I really enjoy about this is that even the people that don't, and for me that's been very few, have that experience what they do leave with is this sudden and amazing reduction in the distress that they're walking around with
0: so even if they don't have this experience it seems a lot more effective than standard emdr by itself
1: um i think it's more efficient i don't i don't know that it's any more effective but um it you know can Compared to other methods that that I have uh, been exposed to and tried, as far as traumatic experiences or, or certainly grief, uh, it's uh, it's just <laughs> really uh, amazingly good. Mm.
0: So, of course, the fundamental question then regarding um, induced after-death communications is: is are these people really seeing these deceased? People are really communicating with them, or is it simply a, a hypnotic kind of, not hallucination, but a hypnotic kind of state that they're in, and it's bringing the, their images from their own mind?
1: It's, you know, it's it certainly, and that's the nice part of it. I mean, you can walk into a session and just be, you know, a very convinced um atheist and say you know that's not possible so that, that's not going to happen and even if it happens i'm not going to believe it um you still have the experience and then you do like any other experience you have you get to do with it what you want and uh, there's there was a an aborted um documentary that was um made a long time ago with Dr. Botkin, I think it's called Healing After the War. And um, I think you could have, I think you can still find the trailer for it on YouTube or something. And one of the veterans that they interviewed said, you know, um, people have asked me, was that real? And And I tell them, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, when you experience it, it works Mm. and I'm very happy with that. And and personally said, yeah, I think there's a piece of your brain that's, that's, uh, you know, wired up to heal you. And, uh, we found it. And so that, that's, you know, that's been Botkin's uh, answer for years and years. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You know, you, it's like any other experience you have, you have to make meaning out of that. And, um, You know, my personal experiences uh, prevent me from, you know, absolutely being on board with that because I've had too many after death communications that were real, meaningful and uh, spontaneous. And um, you personally, me personally, yes. You know, in fact, that's how I set up my practice to begin with was that after many years, uh, first first as a pastoral minister, and then as a psychotherapist, um, what I noticed was that when people would come in for almost all of their distressing uh, problems, that the majority of them included or were, you know, induced by unfinished business with people that weren't there. I said, that's just... uh, kind of a given, that first of all, we don't grieve well, we don't grieve completely, and there's just uh, a lot of fallout from that. Mm-hmm. So when I met my my wife, um, <laughs> and one of the first, thing, I think it was our, our first date, actually, um, she said, Grandma, I need to tell you something. And I went, oh, geez, what's this going to be? You know, I'm, I'm hung up on my ex-husband, or... You know, I only vote Republican or, you know, I love country Western music or, you know, some deal breaker like that for me. And uh, she said, uh, no, um, dead people talk to me. And I went, oh, well, at least it wasn't those first three things. So (laughs) I guess we're home free here. You know, she is a world class medium. She is astoundingly good. Um, it was on our third date that um, I brought a book with me to see her. She picked it up and said, this isn't your book. And I said, well, it was given to me by a friend. I said, Is your friend dead? Yes. Did he shoot himself in the head? Yes. Was he left-handed? Yes. Was his name Don? Yes. Was he married to Barbara? Yes. Well, he says, there was another note that she didn't find, and he wants you to call her and tell her where to find the second note. And I did, and she did. And in basically those thirty seconds, you know, world changes. fuck.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I imagine
1: um, you don't. You don't. But um, when I set up my practice after we got married, I said it would be really nice. I was I was trained as a as a family systems therapist. That was my major, uh, you know, area of focus. Thrust, yeah. and uh, I said. You know, one of the early pioneers in this in the family therapy world um, wouldn't not see you as an individual unless you brought three generations of your family with you, because he felt that was the only way to know who you really were. Mm-hmm. And which is pretty inconvenient, and insurance really doesn't yeah. like doing that much. Yeah. Uh, but in most cases, you know, when you're dealing with adults, there's a lot of people who aren't going to be physically available. Mm -hmm. So um, I asked her if she would uh, join me and, you know, be in consultant with uh, a lot of these cases uh, for a lot of the unfinished business, a lot of the uh, abuse, a lot of the uh, not just grief, but, uh, you know, the remnants of, of, you know, some terrible uh, family interactions that that were hanging around. And Mm -hmm. she did And, so, she, uh,
0: sorry, sorry, so she brings through the deceased um, and yeah, past yeah. family members, I see. Exactly. Because they can't physically be there. Mm. Yeah.
1: So, and um, so we did that for about seven years and then uh, IADC came along and um, so we and we did some experimenting uh, once, once we did that. I had one IADC client... Uh, she All she knew, all my wife knew was that she, I was seeing someone, didn't say male or female, anyone. I was up in the office at this particular time. And um, she said, well, I'm going to do a blind reading for this person. Uh, and so, you know, I I taped that session. She taped her session. We came home and and um, cross-checked each other. She knew my client was female. She knew that her husband had died. She knew that the husband had died in bed with her at night. Um, she did not know that it was um, related to a diabetic crisis, but that, that his um basically he died from suffocation. Uh, that was the mechanism. But, um, you know, we knew at the same time the same information um, when she was not in the room and was not privy to the counselling session, which uh, if we needed a cherry on the Sunday, I think that might have been yeah. it. It's,
0: it's certainly very interesting to hear cases like this that are so... Spontaneous and so kind of verified. I mean, I remember you mentioned in the email about the first case with with your friend Don who passed. Yeah, and you, you said to me that there was no kind of um, going through various names, you know, like the television mediums do. Uh, I'm, I'm sensing a name beginning with the letter F or a C. Yeah, yeah. And it was it, as you say, it was straight one after another with no hesitation. No, is he? Just bang, 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 yeah. bang. Just fact after fact after fact that. Yeah, you know, you can't really chalk to coincidence because you know a name like Don, shot in the head, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. wife name, wife's name. I mean, you know, left-handed. That's not yeah. something that you can talk away as cold reading as many people try to do. You know,
1: it's. I, I've seen people try to do a cold reading, and and you know, this isn't anything like what she does. No.
0: I mean, I, I've seen cold reading for myself. You know, First hand, I went to a to a medium, and she was saying, you know, I sense that your grandmothers died, and I said, yes. I mean, I was probably twenty three, twenty two at the time. Chances were pretty high. Mm-hmm. And I said, I said yes. My grandmother, um, she said um, she liked to bake, and she had knobbly knuckles. <laughs> and I said, no, she didn't like to bake, <laughs> but yes, yeah, she did have knobbly knuckles. You know that that kind of description is everybody's grandmother yeah. really yeah it? sure and and that was a very good example of and, and and you can often see what, when it's happening especially with the say with the television mediums with large audiences they've got they've got a very vast audience to pick from so chances are anything generally that you're gonna give out is going to be a hit with someone yeah when, when yeah as in your example when it's one to one and it's instant instant fact after fact after fact with no miss that's when you start to especially obscure things like the name of his wife and yeah, you his know. name, you know, you know, things like that. It's, that's the sort of thing that I take more seriously, and that I think everybody should.
1: She did a, a group reading once. Uh, actually, did a number of them, but this one I remember the most. Uh, we had had an old car that was uh, kind of a, you know it was beat up. It had smoking problems from probably loose piston rings and stuff. And uh, what we found was that um, there was a, a government agency here in North Texas that would help us repair the thing with, uh, I think, a very substantial monetary. They wanted to clean up the air in our, in our cities. And uh, they, it was called the North Texas Clean Air Association. And I think they gave us like $700 to get our car repaired so that it wasn't polluting the air as much. And uh, she, the night she did the the group reading, she said, um, and I had never heard of this group. You know, it was a very specialized thing that uh, we looked yeah. into.
0: You wouldn't know unless you needed it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And she says, who here has been to the North Texas Clean Air Association? And I went, oh, my God, you know, (laughs) this is the most esoteric thing you could come out with, you know. And this guy raises his hand just immediately. Um, And he says, "Uh, you had a sun pass. Yes. It was very sudden. Yes. Um, Was it suicide? Yes. Just, you know, Mm. stuff that, that... it uh, just seemed rather obscure and, and almost random, you know, mm. but this is this is how they got her. By the way, speaking of, of things that came out, <laughs> um, your name is Darren. It is. <laughs> <clears throat> um, before we were married, we were sitting one evening watching television, and she just suddenly turns to me and says, Graham, who is Darren. And I said, Darren was a little boy um, who died. Uh, I was uh, the pastor of uh, church. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And um, my son, who was very young at the time, and he was two. And and we had a a little girl in the church that was taking care of watching watching children in the afternoons. Um, Darren was one of the kids that was playing in that house. And um, my son was there, his brother was there, and Julie was uh, doing, you know, just having a wonderful time with him. She was balancing on on her, she was lying on her back, balancing them on her feet and kind of launching them mm-hmm. off, you know, and they just loved that. And Darren lost his balance fell over, hit his head on the hearth and um, he was brain dead within 24 hours. And um, it was really the, the first um, child that I had ever done a funeral service for. And um, so I said, well, that's who Darren is. And he said, well, Darren here, Darren's here. And he says, he wants to thank you for taking care of his mother and um in subsequent um, <laughs> sessions uh, she said that Darren was the guide who would bring children to um their parents when they, when she was having readings with them that she they he was kind of a doorkeeper but uh yeah that's kind of a uh you know that kind of makes the world a different place
0: mm. something like that happens absolutely and it's it's something that when it happens to you especially being married to somebody who can do this you know you, there's no escape from it and i'm sure it would turn any non believer into not a believer but somebody that can't escape the facts that's before them
1: yeah i mean i was i was always kind of of the bent that the universe was a place that uh, that actually did have regard for individuals um, and that um, you know, this was not a, a cold and soulless uh, existence that we live, but I was not, you know, there's, there's nothing in my experience that said, um, you know, this, this stuff is absolutely going on all around you. And, um, You know, certainly our civilization does not seem to thrive on that information. (laughs) And and most of it is, is, yeah, going to kind of push it in the other direction.
0: I mean, if you dare mention anything like this, especially online, hordes of people are there to tell you you're insane. Yes.
1: Oh, you know, you're. Looney is the nice word that they will use. Yeah, but. certainly.
0: Getting back to, obviously, I'm, I'm assuming that because of your experiences with, with that sort of thing, that you believe IADC is a genuine kind of connection with...
1: I do, I do. Um, do you remember the last Harry Potter movie? Yeah. Where, where he's, uh, Harry has the, the scene with Dumbledore in the train station, mm-hmm. Mm. And they're, you know, doing really important work. And then, as Harry's leaving, he says, "Dumbledore, is this real or is this all in my head?" And Dumbledore has the most wonderful answer. He said, "Well, of course it's in your head, Harry, but why would you think it's not real?" Mm. It's a cool and quote. you know, that's
0: uh, another good one from J.K. Rowling. Is from the first book, isn't it? <laughs> To the well-organized mind, death is but the next great adventure, or something like that.
1: Yeah, um, you know, there's so many, so many ways you can can think about uh, not being physically alive, and and you know, you could get really uh, esoterically you know, into physics and say, well, you know, dead people are just uh, individuals who don't uh, uh, participate in the Higgs boson stuff anymore. You know, they've, they've gone, gone on beyond that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, there is, you know, and, you know, how many dimensions of reality are there? Well, you know, physicists will tell you at least 11, mm-hmm. you know, and, you uh, you know things that that you cannot see and you can't point to, but you know, have to be that way. That's kind of that's kind of the way this is for me. You know, mm. uh, the, things
0: either, point there. Yeah. the your room's quite dusty. Or I just saw an orb floating up above by the side of your by the side of your head. <laughs> no, I'm, the little, I'm little not
1: sure. <laughs> yeah, dust would not be a an impossibility here for sure.
0: So, as a psychologist yourself or a therapist. What, what, mm-hmm. How do you approach the ideas that um, that these are simply conjurations from the mind of, of past memories of the people, as opposed to actual communications?
1: Um, you know, like like I said earlier, I don't I don't have the right to interpret somebody else's experience. You know, that's what your that autonomy is about, and that's and and um uh, what i what i always think therapy is in in the larger sense is um most of the distress that we come into is because we live in a very cramped reality um that needs to be enlarged and um you know that may come from you know some perfectionistic neurosis or something like that um uh, come from um, all sorts of places but but the world you live in is too cramped and it's biting you you know it's it's sticking you in places that you don't you can't thrive and so yeah. that's that's what therapy is really all about uh, in most cases I mean uh, only 15 percent of the people that come into a, a therapist's office really have a brain problem something like you know, a bipolar disorder or a schizoaffective disorder or something like that, Uh, which, you know, is all about metabolism. It's about uh, not having enough dopamine or having too much dopamine or something like that, you know, that I can't fix. uh, I'm not a medical doctor. I don't have uh, a license to prescribe stuff. But fortunately, most of the people that are having problems don't need that,
0: Mm. you know. Mm. Um, yeah, most of them are purely kind of circumstantial, caused by stress or situations. Yeah, or, 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 or
1: habitual response to yeah. a, a, you know particular part of the world. You know that mm-hmm. um, you know one of the one of the things that I've always noticed is that people, uh, everybody, has a particular strength in, in their approach to the world. You know, this really works well in that situation. You know, I may be uh, driven, you know, to to persevere, to persevere, to persevere, but our biggest weakness is usually an overdone strength. That's, you know, we're we're trying to use, you know, we we know how to use a hammer and we're gonna use a hammer on everything. You know, mm. including screws, mm. and that doesn't work very well. You know, uh, yeah. you have to you have to learn new um, techniques, new abilities. You know, you can't just use the same one over and over and over on everything.
0: No, you need to identify what kind of trait fits what circumstance.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah. And I think people, as you say, get so caught up on one strength that they end up believing that's their only strength. That's yeah. That's
1: or... all I got. You take it away from me, and I'm screwed. You know, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Um, and and that's and that can be really tricky in some in some therapeutic situations where people have learned, let's say in the, let's say they had an abusive childhood, and they learn to dissociate. They learn to, you know, yeah. I see that thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just. <laughs> Just that, saw that, look,
0: that looked like dust or a hair or something
1: well it's certainly hair is certainly a possibility with my covid haircut but
0: uh, <laughs> i've just got my regular haircut which is just insane.
1: <laughs> yeah i haven't had one since january but um you know dissociation is very adaptive in in a in a childhood situation that's that you can't escape from you can't um Overpower the oppressor you can't you know you can't get out of there Uh, can't go live by yourself Mm -hmm. but uh, when that becomes your go-to method for dealing with uh, stress then and you're an adult then you got a problem
0: you know yeah because you never learn
1: anything and and trying to and trying to convince your unconscious to give up something that's helped you survive is a real difficulty Mm -hmm are you crazy? you no, we're not doing that. Yeah. You
0: know? Yeah. Your your kind of your body and your mind puts up resistance to any other kind of idea. So to reinforce that core belief or that core mm-hmm. yeah, it's a technique. So do you find in your professional practice that many therapists take this um I A N D um it, the, this IBC. Out, yeah uh, too many acronyms. do they take that kind of, this kind of process seriously as, as therapy?
1: It, it is a real uh, stumbling block for a lot of people. Um, I re- remember um, going to an EMDR training and it was my second one and uh, between sessions we were talking and when this nice lady you know, asked me and said well what are you doing uh, what do you specialize in and I told her told her about IADC and she just froze just stared at me like you know I had said yes and I have a second head on my back would you like to see it yeah, you know yeah, and uh, she said is this some kind of uh,
0: voodoo thing you know
1: narrative uh, therapy that you're doing is this yeah. some kind of fantasy therapy that you're no, ma'am. Uh, this is uh, something that happens spontaneously. will you hypnotize people. Uh, I know how to do that, but this is not what I'm doing. You know, we don't ask people to relax. We ask people to uh, lean into the the sadness. Mm-hmm. And she just kind of backed off from me and and slipped away. You know, um, and and I've had clients that, uh, you know, are finally driven to, to, to make the call and, and talk to me and say, well, I talked to another therapist about this and they said, that is ridiculous, you know. But again, that's the, the unproven assumption uh, that consciousness is a product of the brain, that there's no possibility of that. And and I say it's unproven because there is no proof. We don't know where consciousness comes from. Um, no.
0: it's. I mean, it's not even just a matter of proof. I mean, in, in science, proof isn't really the aim. It's just that the evidence doesn't necessarily suggest that the brain produces consciousness solely. There are other possibilities. And, and in my opinion every piece of evidence you can bring up for the brain creating consciousness, you can also use equally or even more parsimoniously with the idea that the brain receives or filters consciousness.
1: Absolutely. It's, uh, I, I think it's a, you know, the best analogy I think is, is that it's some kind of Venturi that, uh, you know, focuses consciousness in a particular place at a particular time. Um, I remember when when really good video games first hit the home market. Um, I had a I, I invested in this uh, uh, jet fighter simulation, and I was really hooked on that for a while, you know. And I got in my F4 Phantom, and uh, I was trying to outduel this Mig 21, and uh, I was twisting and turning all over the place and I kind of lost track of my altitude. And then at one point I noticed right away, I'm going 900 miles an hour and I'm 40 feet off the ground. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I've done that. And I, was,
1: <laughs> I was really quite shocked when the screen turned black, why I wasn't feeling intense deceleration trauma, Yeah. yeah. you know, because I had invested that interface, you know, yeah. with reality.
0: Was it like the, just a, um, a monitor and a joystick, or was it kind of one of those booths?
1: Yeah, it was a monitor what and joystick a joystick,
0: and, you know... Uh, Your attention was so focused in that moment that...
1: Yeah, was like a, I was I happened. was not sitting in that chair as far as I was concerned. Mm. I was, you know, up in the sky yeah, with yeah. Uh, this deadly duel going on, you know. Mm. And I thought, what if what if, you know, what I experience every day when I wake up is, you know, kind of like that. I'm turning on the monitor and this thing I call a body is kind of my interface with uh, um, this simulated yeah. um, situation.
0: I mean, there is just there are so many theories of consciousness, so many kind of viewpoints. You've got as you say the um, simulation theory that we're all in a simulated environment. Simulated like yeah. by someone else. You've got idealism, which says that everything is mind uh, and mm-hmm. consciousness, not that there's matter and consciousness, but it's all, it's all one aspect of one thing. You've got idealism, yeah. which says that everything is conscious. Uh, I, I, I'm not exactly sure on the differences, but, and then you've got materialism. I mean, people think materialism, the brain producing consciousness as being part of that, is already the case. I think mm-hmm. it's it's only until you really look into it do you realise there are these other areas that are just as plausible, if not more so, in my opinion. Although a lot of more people will defend materialism rather uh, than defending these others.
1: Yeah, and I and I think that's you know kind of a product of uh, our economic uh, civilization. You know, mm. if there's something more to you than than I can use in my production of of. Goods and services and wealth. Then I'm really not interested
0: right now. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. and I mean, I just, you know, the materialistic philosophy has done absolutely amazing things over the past yes. several hundred years. You know, everything yeah. that we can attribute to to discovery to technology is all based on materialism, which of course science initially was. But that that's not to say that we can therefore say that everything is bound by those those laws
1: exactly and uh, you know and is and as great as as an advancement that, that has that has been it's like saying we we cleaned up um you know there's a there's a way of of cleaning your home that says start in one corner and work outward you know and mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of what we've been up to you know we worked in one corner of existence and done a pretty good job for you know, Hundreds yeah, of years absolutely. now, absolutely. But uh, whether that has produced more happiness or um, existential joy uh, is kind of up in the air, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's
0: certainly we need as a species to be more open to different ideas, because I mean there are people, as I say, that will defend materialism to the hill and will insult oh, them, yeah. ridicule anybody that disagrees. But there are also people on the other side that say you know materialism is completely nonsense if you believe that you're a sheep i hear that a lot and i think that people, you know <laughs> here you go thanks materialism <laughs> and f- physical science because yeah, exactly y- you've got one yeah. of these and you know yeah. it's take away everything that materialism has ever given you and you'd have nothing so to say it's useless and to ridicule people for believing in that is ridiculous but then equally to say oh i'm
1: i'm ones. very happy with you know um I have had two surgeries on two broken Achilles tendons and a, um, a, a repair of my shoulder, and I'm thinking, you know, if I was in the 15th century, I'd be sitting by the side of the road with a bowl. You yeah. know, that was yeah. all that would be left to me.
0: And of course, if if um, we were born, you say, before the time of medicine and and everything else, we'd be having someone praying over us for that, or you know, yeah. burning herbs to the gods. Yeah, or bleeding me or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So certainly, the materialistic viewpoint has been incredibly important, but that's not to say. Yeah, it's
1: it's we've we've got a very clean corner of that house, you know, yeah. and it's getting
0: cleaner. Yeah, and the methodologies, really is. unfortunately, due to their nature, the methodologies are only able to progress that certain viewpoint. So mm-hmm. it's time, you know, we need to develop other means. Of, of investigating things that may not be physical as, as as you say, experiences of of mediumship or of IADCs seem to suggest that there may be this other dimension to existence.
1: Yeah, I'm really looking, you know, I'm not looking for it in, in my lifetime, but I'm really looking for the, for the interface between, um, materialism and non-materialism and I because it's at some point you know they obviously do intersect you know just like uh, you know Einstein's general relativity intersects with uh, quantum theory somewhere we still haven't quite got that yet but Mm. um,
0: But you know obviously
1: it it, it exists you know Macro becomes micro and vice versa somehow.
0: I think the only thing that's stopping that congruence, if that's the right word, of, um, of materialism and more spiritual matters is that people, especially the scientists, are afraid that once that happens, it will completely override or remove all the work that's ever been done, everything we've ever found in the past because they think it will no longer apply. You know, if, if we prove somehow that consciousness is not a product of the brain they think therefore all neuroscience all of physical matter everything we know about it will no longer be usable be redundant and unfortunately you know that's not that's how people see it, but that's not the case it's not a case of overriding a current paradigm it's adding on to it adding these yeah, extra that's, well it's
1: part of it's part of the scientific method that yeah. you know things that were scientifically proven a while back aren't anymore, mm-hmm. you know, and you've got you've got something else that works better. Um, but you know, the, to fear that is, I think it was 1896 that there was a actually a a bill brought forth in the United States Congress that said we want to close the Patent Office because everything that's useful to be invented mm-hmm. has already been invented. Yeah. You know how myopic can you possibly be? But
0: and what happened? Planes, technology, oh, all sorts of just
1: things. the whole twentieth century. Exactly. You
0: know, and I, I think you know to think that sort of thing even now that we understand a percentage of what reality is um, is constructed of, what constitutes reality is is ridiculous. I'm sure in in another hundred, two hundred years, even that short of time, we'll be looking back and laughing at what we think is correct now. Oh, sure. You know,
1: um, <laughs> I don't. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, one of Woody Allen's early movies called Sleeper, and uh, it's kind of a Rip Van Winkle movie where he gets uh, inadvertently frozen, and, and uh, he comes back to consciousness a uh, hundred years later. And you know, he's run a, a vitamin and health food store before he went into Storage and um, so that's what he asks for when he wakes up is you know some of these uh, health foods and, and mm. the guy stands around scratching his head and said oh my god were there no chocolate pies were there no uh, candy stores when you went to sleep you know yeah. <laughs> we we know all this stuffs good for us now you know <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: uh, it's, it's really making fun of that that mm. whole idea that. We know what we know, and it 's really the gospel truth,
0: you know? yeah, and you know even in terms of science itself, the methodology that we take take as as the best now, like empiricism, repeatable, testable, predictable hypotheses, mm-hmm. and things like that they you know they work, we know they work, but to think that they are the only means of gathering useful information about the way the world works, you know science is a process of development, and there are phenomena. <coughs> that seem to challenge that method now, because that method cannot tell us why near-death experiences take place when the brain's flatline. It cannot tell us how no. mediums can pick up verifiable information. All we can say is that doesn't happen because our methods don't cover it. So instead of looking at the phenomena, maybe we should look at the methods and try and develop. That's a
1: very to- good thought. That's a very good thought, Darren, that the, the method, you know, um, Forget who said this, but you know, um, words themselves limit our reality. What we can even think, mm. you know. And if there's a certain construct of, of wording that says this is how we're going to conceive of things, that may be the, the uh, you know that may, that may be the fishbowl that we're living in, we and not even know it. Yes, I mean
0: as soon as you go into the realms of of experience of subjective experience as soon as someone tries to describe that it's straight away it's going through your filters and it's being um, comprehended in your own way so mm-hmm. being able to really tell an experience in its total experience to somebody else is incredibly an incredibly difficult thing to do especially when we start getting to the the transpersonal levels of, of existing as oneness or yeah. existing in timelessness where the words, even just to portray that experience, hasn't, haven't been invented. Do no, we, do we don't know how to
1: refer to that. Exactly. Except analogously and, and, and obliquely. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. And the problem is, is when we rely on, on the method of discovery we've got, how can you empirically test these subjective experiences outside of anecdotal data? which is, a, mm-hmm. you know, is a curse word in science a lot of the time. <laughs> Absolutely. At least those that don't really understand what the difference between anecdotal data and, you know, widespread thousands and millions of accounts data.
1: But, you know, when I, when I think about that, what I'm kind of left with uh, is that most of the scientific data that I accept, I have not proven for myself. As far as I'm concerned, this is anecdotal from somebody else.
0: You
1: know, and um, you know, I'm always kind of thrown back when I when I think of you know Carl Sagan saying extraordinary claims require extraordinary truths or extraordinary proofs. I'm thinking, how extraordinary is it that we discount the near-death experiences of almost a billion people that are alive today? You know, Mm. how, what would you have to, you know, what proof would you have that a billion people are just fucking lying
0: to you? Yeah. That just makes me sick. And one thing that annoys me is when people say near-death experiences aren't evidence because they're anecdotal. And anecdotal data is, you know, I had this experience, therefore I believe every experience is like this. That's based on one anecdote. You know, when you've got millions, uh, you know, I think twenty or an estimate is up to twenty percent, isn't it, of the population have had these experiences, which is, as you say, one I, billion people. Yeah, that's, that's or, a, or, yeah, and including those that have that are third-party verified perception uh, perceptions, yes. that to me yes. takes it well beyond the range of what can be reasonably yeah, called anecdotal. It's, it's, it's...
1: If it's three people in, in Iowa, then I may, you know, say I'm going to pass on that. But, yeah. you know, when it's all over the world and in every culture, whether it's uh, advanced or third world or even primitive, uh, you know, you've got the same elements. Yeah. Now, that's that just doesn't that strains any kind of credulity that says, you know, oh, this is just. All made
0: up, or yeah, and I mean, there there are differences in the cultural experiences of NBIs, There are, there are, as you yes. say, the core foundations seem the same. It's the way they're interpreted. I mean, for example, it we, seems it seems that in Asian culture, there is no life review, which whereas that's a big part. Exactly, of, yeah, which is curious. Although we wonder if there is a life review, but it's experienced in a in a different way. And I think Bruce Grayson has has done this. I don't know exactly the details of, of whether there is or not. A life review in a different form, but I'm due to have a chat with him, so that's a question I need to ask him.
1: Oh, with Dr. Grayson? Yeah, Yeah. very nice. Yeah, I I I did a talk for um, Ion's a few years back. Oh, you saw that, and he was there, um, so I got to meet him. He was very Hmm. he's he's very interesting fellow.
0: Do you find that, um, have you ever had somebody who's come in, say, who is strictly a materialist or strictly Mm -hmm. doesn't believe in anything other than what's here, you know, when your brain dies, Mm -hmm. you dies, who have had um, a session of IADC and have changed their mind as as a result?
1: Um, Personally, I have not. I have not had anybody... uh, You know, know, I have had people come up to me after um, some of the sessions my wife has had and said, you know, that changed my life. And I say, funny you should say that, you know, me too. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's one of the problems, I think, with, with IADC is that the name will scare off a lot of people, you know. Yeah, I don't they think don't they'd
0: be quite freaked out by the thought.
1: Yeah, it's like I'm not going to go do that. That's crazy, you know. Mm. And and I've all I've all that was my first thought when I heard it. And it's like, well, why do you call it that? And it turns out there's not really a good reason to call it that, you know, because a we're not inducing anything, and um, b what we're focusing on, what we do as therapists is channel people into their core sadness. That's that's the whole meat of the process. You know, yeah. most yeah. most of the time people get lost thinking about oh, what's gonna happen to me now, or I'm so angry at this doctor or that, you know, family person, or I'm so guilty that I didn't see this coming. And those are all deflections from what's really the, the and this was and this is Botkin's you know, Nobel Prize winning discovery was that you can take care of guilt and anger by not doing anything with them, that you just refocus people on the core sadness, and that drains all of the juice away from those other emotions. You don't have to deal with them at all. And, you know, so I wanted, you know, if it was up to me, I would call it, you know, core sadness focused therapy. You know, or something like that. Mm. Uh, that, and and the other good reason is that, you know, when Botkin was doing this at the VA, uh, people, he didn't he didn't say that it was anything other than this is your therapy session with the VA. And a hundred percent of the people that he treated had this after death communication experience. How and many, when he took it publicly. To it went down to 75 now what's the difference expectation yeah. people have this idea that i'm going to see this person or i'm going to hear this person or i'm going to feel this person and i'm looking in this direction and i'm not seeing what's over here
0: yes because you're looking for i'm not noticing
1: this i've already i've already discounted that that's a big problem you know that's that's part of you know the the whole spade work of trying to get somebody uh, to there is trying to get them to quit doing that, you know? mm. stop that, um, and sometimes you can't. It's it's like telling people you know don't think of a pink elephant or something. Yeah. You know.
0: Yeah. Um, so you found so he found that when people went into the therapy expecting to have these um, communications, that's when they didn't seem to have them
1: not as often they really don't you know because um, you
0: yeah you
1: know, as there's some place in in botkin's book where he talks about having a, a session with a, a fellow who he thought had a particularly good connection with his uh deceased brother and he said do you mind if i ask him a question and the client said sure and he said well ask him what he thinks about iadc yeah, they did another set, and, and client says, "Well, um, my brother says he thinks it's fine. Just remember, we're in charge of it, not you." Yeah. Yeah, and and yeah, we're not we're not doing anything except okay. getting people cool. to a place we know they can be receptive mm. uh, to what's already there. Mm. Um, my analogy is. Uh, yeah, you know, we starlight is very real, and it's and it's all over the place. But if you cr- try to look at it during the daytime, you're not going to see much, because there's this big hot incandescent ball of flaming gas in the sky that's mm-hmm. kind of glaring and keeps everything. At, at, you know. So our job is to, you know, kind of let the sun set, and then you get to, get to see what's actually already them. there yeah. we're not producing anything
0: it's a good analogy so if if idc is so successful as you say 70 i mean even 70 percent is an exceptional success rate of having these experiences. Yeah. and then i imagine those that do have the experience the percentage is just as high for those that find it beneficial if that's the case and you can show these figures why do you think it's not accepted generally as a as a true practice
1: Well, it's, you know, first of all, it's been a logistics problem because up until 2011, you know, Botkin was doing this pretty much alone. I mean, he trained a lot of people. He trained several hundred therapists um, from not just in the U.S., but in Germany and uh, other places, some from South America. Uh, I came on board as the the, uh, clinical director in 2011. And um, I was one, I think I was the first board member for IEDC. We now have um, six, I believe. One in Italy, one in Germany, a couple in France, um, a couple more in, in the U- United States. Um, but th- it was kind of a mom and pop organization. <laughs> you know, mm. we, were, we were doing something um, without uh, a lot of help. And without a lot of organization. Um, we've gotten the number of therapists worldwide now up to about five or 600. Um, and Dr. Botkin actually just retired in August. Uh, his uh, health was not the best, is not the best. And uh, he's retired from practice even. He's not doing any, any right. more uh, sessions. So, we're hopeful going forward that, uh, you know, we're going to have a a better organization for this. Uh, We already have completed uh, one university-sponsored study uh, comparing IADC outcomes with traditional uh, supportive grief therapy, which uh, came out very very substantially uh, in favor of uh, the IDC method. But that's the only real research that's been done. And um, so there's going to have to be a lot more of that. EMDR had a lot of problems with it too. Uh, they finally, I think, um, overpowered it, uh, over- overpowered the objections to it by just the sheer number of questions of, um, uh, you know, scientific studies that are attributed to to EMDR now, mm. um, but of course we have to we have to kind of do the disclaimer that says we're not we're not part of that research because we don't use the entire protocol. You know, so we mm. we have to kind of do this ourselves.
0: Yeah, you bring up a good point. Actually, going off track slightly, when you you mention about scientific studies of therapy. To show that they work, it kind of it it confuses me because on on one hand people will say that anecdotal data is not scientific in any in any way, and yet when we do studies based on therapy or on pharmaceutical effects, the studies are I'd imagine always must by necessity be based off of testimony of those that undergo tests with it. Yeah. So yeah. you know they use um, ques- uh, scientific questionnaires, as Bruce Grayson has done with near-death experiences, and Jeffrey Long as well. Mm-hmm. And you know the the deciding principle as to whether a therapy or a drug is effective or not is the testimony of those that take them. Yeah. So, so why is that anecdotal? If you call it anecdotal data, of <laughs> that's right. And yet, yes, and- it, it, you see what I mean.
1: Yes, exactly. It seems, it seems you know, contradictory. We're using subjective description to um, try to define something as objective.
0: Yeah, which is- a lot of people take EMDR and have said exactly the same things that they've benefited from it. A lot of people have taken the COVID tests, the COVID um, vaccination tests trials, mm-hmm. and they've all come out saying effectively the same things which is why they've now got this um list of whatever side effects or possible um adverse Mm -hmm. effects it's the same with any vaccination you know the only reason we know what the flu vax what side effects that can cause is because a lot of people have tested it and they've said the same thing near-death experiences in their up to a billion people have all said the same thing and yet it's not taken seriously
1: yeah it does,
0: yeah, I don't understand the argument, but
1: I, I don't either. Uh, you know, it, but there is there is a, a real bias. Um, I was talking to actually his classmate I went to high school with. I was talking with him online, and uh, he I didn't quite understand where he was coming from originally, but uh, he was railing against uh, treating children for attention deficit disorder with any kind of medication and um, he said well how do you even know they had it you know where are the blood tests that prove they have attention deficit disorder i said there there isn't one you know (laughs) you don't they don't have a dipstick that says oh you're low on attention you know Um, you treat somebody based on their behavior based on on this constellation of behaviors exactly Uh, you know there's 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 no empirical way of doing that you know which he said was proof that this is all a sham you know yeah um turns out he was a scientologist which was <laughs> explaining right. a lot but yeah
0: you know. but i mean you know, um, even even with something as common as as anxiety which i've been suffering with for 12 years the, the test for anxiety whether you've got generalized anxiety disorder isn't that they Stick a syringe in your head and test the serotonin levels in your in your no. senses. It's based on what no. you communicate to people. What you communicate to your doctors exactly.
1: And, exactly. You know,
0: more times, a lot more times than not, it's diagnosed correctly and treated as such. Based exactly. on of anecdotal you, data.
1: Yeah, I mean the the whole DSM, you know, movement. That's that actually, you know, uh, I think we were on DSM three when I first got into the. Business and you know now we're at five, which
0: you remember uh, what that is DSM.
1: The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of uh, Psychological. Right. I forget the rest of it, but you know it's it's this whole uh, index of numbers that correspond to particular diagnoses of uh, mental uh, disorders. You know, including uh, including addictions and things like that, but. Um, those aren't, those don't exist anywhere per se. You don't have an anxiety disorder. You have a, uh, constellation of feelings and behaviors, uh, that core, core less around something that we've identified in other people as kind of similar, you know, that, that Mm -hmm. you have human being traits like these human beings have traits. Yeah. And, and we call it this. Exactly, you
0: know? it's all under one label. Although the experience is going to be different for everybody, because everybody's their own person. Yeah. Whereas if you have a, a if you cut your arm off, you're going to have the same exact sense of pain, unless there's a problem with your nerves sure. or something like that. And it's, that's that's the problem with these with mental conditions. Is there a problem of the mind? And you know, if you open up someone's brain, you won't find anxiety, or you won't find no. depression. You might find traces no. of it in the level of serotonin, for example, but there's no real damage that's causing that physi- physically. Right. And people, although people will say there is a chemical imbalance that causes it, and if you were to balance those chemicals, which is why SSRIs work. But a question I would have is is that treating the issue or is that numbing it? Mm-mm. And yeah. how would you know? <laughs> Until the hard yeah. problem of conscience is answered, how would you know?
1: You know, I my I saw my grandmother when I was young. Um, you know, back in the fifties, that she suffered from kind of intractable uh, depression, um, and really the only thing they had to offer at that time was uh, electroconvulsive therapy. Yeah, and um, and and I saw. You know, I saw her lose her affect. You know, uh, to the point where you know I could have walked in and said, you know, uh, Nana, I've I've been elected king of the world. You know, and she would probably have said, Well, that's nice. Mm. You know, mm. and I am very grateful that that we've you know progressed in treatment since then. But um, it's certainly not without a host of, of um, you know I you know like antidepressant medications. I, I, I see that as certainly not a long term solution for anybody. It's 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 kinda like yeah, when you lose serotonin, dopamine, nor, you know, norepinephrine, and stuff like that, yeah, your body's not gonna work. It's kinda like running out of gas on the freeway somewhere, you know. It's just not going anywhere. And um, lifestyle and metabolism are really the only way that's going to be replenished. But while you're trying to replenish that, you actually need something to run on. You know, yeah. <laughs> you need. Uh, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm going to put gas in the car, but uh, before that gas gets from the tank to the uh, engine, you know, I'm going to be sitting there a while. You know, yeah. I need to squirt some in the in the. Mm. Fuel injector or something.
0: Yeah, I don't know if that analogy would, would work exactly because you know the SSRIs and these other drugs, dopamine they don't kind of they don't give extra serotonin. They they just prevent. No, they, they, they help just, the body retain a certain amount of it. That it exactly. It produces. So it, it's kind of it's giving it's giving the, the body the way of, of of maintaining the fuel. I suppose making it's, it more it's efficient. It's kind
1: of a short. It's a short term fix, basically. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, and it doesn't deal with the problem have, itself.
1: No. And, and they have a real history of, hey, we're working, we're working, oh, we're not working anymore. You know, mm-hmm. go find mm-hmm. another one. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, the interesting thing to me right now is that they're finding so much efficacy with things like psilocybin. Yeah. And, you know, uh, they're doing. what they're saying is that it's kind of like going in and rewiring the whole place, you know, kind of at once, Mm. instead of trying to help it just kind of improve its... it's. um, um, (laughs) I remember we had to give one of our cats, um, what is that drug? Um, But they've used it now for, uh, it it was basically an, an animal, they were using it for animal tranquilizing but it's kind of a psychedelic and um, he, he had eaten a bunch of Christmas ribbon and we had to have it fished out of his stomach yeah. and so they gave him some of that and I've never seen a cat look so startled as when he came back home he was like oh my god what the hell was
0: that you know he just came back from a church <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'd like to see um, him what he was like when he was high yeah <laughs>
1: Um, there, you know, that's been ex- that's being experimented with. Yeah. Um, also,
0: and, uh, it's also interesting psychedelic trips, which I've never had one. I don't like the idea of anything messing with my consciousness. I don't even like the idea of going under anesthesia. But um, it's interesting that people have this <coughs> reported state of heightened consciousness under the influence of psilocybin or DMT, and yet from um, neuroimaging. Um, techniques like uh, fmri and and what have you the these substances don't make brain activity sporadic or more more active it it decreases brain activity Mm -mm. which to me suggests that what it's doing is is lowering the filtering mechanism of the brain and giving us access more to consciousness as it is i mean that's what it would suggest to me maybe from my biases which yeah. i don't deny yeah. that they're there but that's one way of interpreting it and it's just interesting that you'd have you have a richer experience with less brain activity
1: that really makes sense darren um, i mean we know from just like you said the fmris and things that um when buddhist meditators or uh catholic um nuns who were in contemplative uh, orders and things like that um, what what you notice right away is that this piece of your brain i think it's uh, the anterior, interior i'm not going to get it um, but it's the part of your brain that that locates you in space
0: it's the temporal parietal junction the temporal parietal temporal parietal? Okay. temporal parietal lobe I think
1: I but it's know. the part that lets you reach out for a coffee cup and, and actually snag it instead of going oh <laughs> yeah. it's not there it's not yeah. there yeah. you know it locates you in the environment that turns off you know and, and you know people say you know I feel oceanic or I feel at one hmm. you know and you know, yeah. So, Certain yeah. people say, "Well, that's a that's a brain dysfunction." No, exactly. maybe that's the way it's supposed to function. Yeah. And exactly, you
0: know, so in que- order to is, just, the question is is, yeah, is, nope. is is the disorder of that particular thing causing that illusion, or is it turning off its filtration system and letting you see what exactly. life really is? Yeah, and that that's similar with evidence that's used for um, to prove that the brain creates consciousness. It can be taken in two ways, just as mm-hmm. equally reasonably but most people would would say that you know um that feeling of oneness is caused because your brain's not working and it's creating this illusion but they don't consider the other fact or the other possibility that maybe it's because it's we know it's it's turning off maybe it's it's just showing us what really is there before the brain interferes
1: and and the other part of that is that when you Reach a certain level of development, and I will say enlightenment. You know what you're reaching for is that state of being connected. You know mm-hmm. what what really dawned on me many many years ago was that almost any discomfort, pain, uh, cruelty, you know, you name it, was caused by somebody feeling that I'm alone inside this body, and nothing else can reach me, and nothing else matters except me. Yeah, and, you
0: know, yeah. It,
1: aloneness is basically a curse. Is basically what you know came to me. And what's the cure for that? Um, noticing that you're not. Mm. <laughs> noticing that the connection is there, and it's yeah. vital, and, and it's you, part of you. It's who you isn't. are.
0: And not just noticing that you're not, but noticing that you never will be, and never have been
1: that that that's a that's a real heavy burden yeah mm. but you know i part of what i do every day is uh, I, uh, do some consulting work for uh, basically medicare psychiatric hospitalizations retrospective reviews and uh, it is amazing how many of these uh, folks um uh, come to that conclusion i'm alone i'm you know nobody's here to help me nobody and a lot of them are you know it it involves uh i'll say a fairly recent death of somebody who was very important to them you know uh, within a year uh, maybe two um but this uh, but aloneness in the universe is just absolutely intolerable for most for most
0: people and understandably yeah. so, you know, we are, we have evolved to be group people, you know, we, we, we're we supposed to be yes, in groups Yes, exactly.
1: I, it's, it's a hardwired thing, you know. Mm. I mean, think about being a proto-human, you know, 100,000, 200,000 years ago, running around the steppes of Africa, mm. and you say, hey, I want to go live by myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you were never heard from again,
0: you no, know. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> you were lunch, basically, and uh, so the gene pool just, you know, subtracted that little um, idea uh, over and over again because that's the only way we could survive was mm-hmm. together, and uh, so even even if you're comfortable, you know, being alone, there's a part of you that says I'm not really safe. I'm not really okay, you know. Mm-hmm. I need to be anxious because there's nobody around.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and and perhaps this is why these, you know, advanced yogis and meditators are able to live alone in, yes, in caves. Because they turn, they, because
1: turn they, that they, off. Yeah. They,
0: they understand that they're not alone. That they're not, by, yeah. But by, by their very nature. You know, their their individuality, their um a, a philosopher friend of mine would call it a dissociation. Of consciousness but this individual may be alone but ultimately our, our true nature yeah, we're never alone so that doesn't cause a problem to someone who's enlightened to that level
1: yes when you've gotten to that point where you realize that, that you know you know it, it's funny when you watch little children and they're learning object constancy you know um, I, I remember my son who's of course now 44 but you know, uh, when he was old enough to walk and he'd go play in his room, you know, he'd come toddling back out in about 20 minutes and go, oh, you're here again. That's so great. <laughs> you know, wonderful. You know, um, but over time, you know, he begins to understand that we're still there even when he doesn't see us. Yeah. Yeah. And and peekaboo is not in, in an enjoyable pastime for him anymore, no, you know. No. No. It's like, oh yeah, here you are again. Great, you know? <laughs> but um, that's kind of what we're up against, you know. Um, we're we're develop we we are kind of tasked with developing the situation of of uh, recognizing our non-aloneness, even when it is pretty evident to us.
0: Mm. And I think. As I'm sure you've you've probably come to believe as well in your line of work is that but it's one thing we can say for many mental struggles like anxiety like depression and various other things is it pushes the person into that area of of interest I mean, I would have never have looked at life after death or anything like this if I didn't have anxiety disorder because I would never have had the necessity to I'd, I'd still be atheistic, I'd still believe that once you die, you die, and I'd still believe that all this spiritual stuff is nonsense. Because I never had, and many people never have the opportunity or the, the motivation to really look at it. So, in in that way, you know, that's.
1: I, I think, yeah, I think that's a kind of a cultural ditch that we're in. You know, for most people, looking at that is is kind of like a uh, fire hose on the wall. that says, you know, in in case of emergency, break glass. But mm. you know, otherwise, just leave it the hell alone. You know,
0: just, yeah, just let it do don't
1: it even. <laughs> Just keep doing what you're doing, you know, be, be distracted, be uh, busy, be mm. uh, addicted, be, um, you know, obsessed, do something other than that, you know.
0: Yeah. So do you think if IADC techniques were brought into the more mainstream area of, of um, counseling, do you think that would be a, a huge benefit to the population as, as a whole?
1: I would wish that. I would wish that for for society that that you know um, having having the experience of not being separated, not being uh, you know the the party the part of your brain that registers when you drop a hammer on your toe is the same one that that registers when you feel socially excluded when you feel um, rejected which I think is very interesting yeah uh, but I think it also you know says uh, when you look around say how much of society feels excluded how much of it feels um, you know nobody cares yeah and then you and then you add on top of that this person who I thought, was my connection to caring in the world has died? You know, now I'm just totally bereft. I don't have any place to belong. I don't yeah, have,
0: yeah.
1: you know, uh, I don't see that this could do anything but help. Uh, it not, not just individuals, but the the connection between individuals, which you know we call culture.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's really interesting now in, in COVID times when we you know in America now we've lost 325,000 people in one year in less than a year That's a lot, isn't it? um the last time this happened we lost four over 400,000 i think in 1918 spanish flu uh, and and there were some real changes that happened uh, as a result of that you know up until 1918 people used to have um you know, wakes in their parlor. They would lay out, you know, their loved one in in the parlor. And um, there were so many people that, that died of even bigger po- percent of the population than than today. Yeah. Um, everything changed and they started having funeral parlors. You know, we're going to have, you. we don't have enough room in our house for all the people that died. So we're going to, you know, Ship this out, and that, um, and there were so many, there was so much death associated with parlors that uh, when that was over, they renamed the whole, uh, that whole part of the house. It was no longer a parlor, it became a living room. Yes. We don't want to associate with that anymore. (laughs) So I'm really interested to see what will come out of this this time.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Seeking Eye Life Exploration Podcast. If you did and would like to continue following my research, please consider subscribing to my YouTube channel and following the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify and other podcast providers. You can also join our Facebook discussion group. You can find the link to this and other Seeking Eye online profiles at seeking-eye.com. Thank you.